Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. To the Batmobile. Are you watching Star Trek? We would be honored if you would join us. Please proceed with extreme caution. Now, Geek Universe, the weekly show on sci-fi and superheroes, fantasy and horror, and much more. Importing preferences and calibrating virtual environments. I bet my Wookiee. Are you insane? Here he is, the only talk show host who doesn't believe in the no-win scenario, your host for Geek Universe, Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages, welcome to another edition of Geek Universe. I am your host, Jim Yelton, and we are coming to you live on tape from Geek Headquarters. And this week, we've got a great show for you. This might be uh, one of the most fun shows that we've done in a while. You know, and I say that every week, but I mean, really this week. (laughs) This was a lot of fun. You know, normally I I get into conversations with some of the guests that we have on the show and it really feels like, you know, they're answering the same questions over and over that they've answered in, in numerous interviews or it just has a very interviewee type feel to it. You know, I, I always like to say that we're having conversations with people. I try not to have interviews. I want to have a conversation and really talk to people about things that I've always wondered about their careers or movies or TV shows that that they've done or books that they've written and this was one of those interviews. Our guest this week is Marina Sirtis from Star Trek The Next Generation. You saw her for seven years on TNG playing Deanna Troy, a role that she reprised on Voyager numerous times and uh, the movies. She's also made guest appearances on NCIS and she will be returning to science fiction with a guest role directed by her Star Trek co-star Jonathan Frakes on an upcoming episode of the Fox series The Orville with Seth MacFarlane. And if you heard last week's show, we actually talked to Jonathan Frakes last week and found out how he was able to bring his Imzadi Marina Sirtis along as he's directing The Orville this season. And we'll talk to Marina about that later on in the show. We also, this is a Geek Universe first. If you've heard our Geek Universe trivia Thunderdome episodes that we do at some of our live appearances when we go out and do conventions and things like that, uh, you know that we have a category in the trivia Thunderdome called Trump or Ferengi, where we give contestants the opportunity to figure out if a quote is from Donald Trump or the Ferengi Rules of Acquisition. Marina Sirtis, for the first time ever, we have a member of the Star Trek cast that is going to play Trump or Ferengi, and she's actually going to be playing for a lucky listener, somebody that follows us on Facebook. And if she wins Trump or Ferengi later on in the show, that lucky listener will be getting a Geek Universe prize package. So stay tuned. A lot of cool stuff. And we kick things off going way, way back because I wanted to find out from Marina her memories of the early days working on The Next Generation and the fact that when she auditioned, she didn't originally audition for the role of Deanna Troy. One of the things that I don't think I've heard you talk about in detail or often is the fact that when you auditioned for The Next Generation, you did not initially audition to play Deanna Troy. No. You auditioned to play Tasha Yar. Yeah, and that was purely because of the character description. Because in the character description, you know, when they send out the um, the stuff to casting directors and then the casting directors get in touch with the agents, you know, there's a character description. And the character description said that Tasha was dark, 
and Troy was blonde. And that was it. So I was auditioning for Tasha because I was a brunette. Yeah. And Denise was auditioning for Troy because she was a blonde. And then they, you know, then actually after they'd read us a few times, I mean, I think they read us three times before they switched us because I would run into Denise. It was weird because I would run into Denise and Gates at every audition. I auditioned six times, so I'm pretty sure they auditioned close to that. And, you know, we were always auditioning at the same time. So it was almost like they they kind of had an idea what what the group was going to be. And we all get tended to get called at the same time. Um so that was kind of interesting, I mean, in retrospect. But, yeah, it was purely because um, of, of our hair color. And I think because they wanted Troy to be kind of cool, like a kind of a... Actually, the opposite of what she turned out to be, funnily enough, because they, I think they wanted her to be a bit of an ice maiden and to be really cool and detached. Right. And kind of like a, a bit spocky, you know? Okay. To have that... Because she was, um, that was the impression that I got from, from the auditions anyway, uh, that, that they wanted her to be kind of like kind of because of her betazoid thing and not a human thing to be more kind of logical and because of her psychology training to look at things dispassionately and, you know, like a psychologist does. So I think they had the idea that that person would be kind of cool and blonde and Grace Kelly-ish, if you like, you know, and that um, because Tasha was supposed to be actually um, Eastern European and, um, you know, we all know the history of Eastern Europe for the last century or so. They they imagined her to be like Russian-y, Polish-y, a lot more fiery. Uh, and they imagined that person would be dark. And that's just a stereotype, yeah. you know, and yeah. we are talking 30 years ago now. So, um, yeah, that was it. And then they auditioned us and they went, well, this, you know, let's switch around and see what happens. Um, I was actually walking out of my third audition um, when um, the director came running back out, running after me and, put, and brought me back and, and said, look, um, we think you're more right for a different role. And um, they gave me the audition sides and they sat me in a room and they gave me an hour. And I thought, OK, what can I do in an hour? And I thought, well, I can learn the lines in an hour. At least that's something to go in with, you know, instead of literally instead of trying to figure out the character, I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to learn the lines and go into that room and see what happens. And um, that's what it is. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, because going through the audition process and auditioning as many times as you did for Tasha before they made the switch, I would think that you're starting to build the character in your head every step of the audition process and do a little bit more. And and you're starting to figure out how you want to play it as an actress. And then to have them swap things out would be kind of difficult, I would think. Yeah, well, like I said, I, I, I didn't know the character. I didn't know who the character was I mean funnily enough though coincidentally my audition scenes were between Tasha and Troy right so that I was working on the same scenes I was just working on the other character now oh okay and yeah so and also I had to do each audition three times because I had started our short auditioning for Tasha she was supposed to have an accent she's supposed to be from Eastern Europe so I was going in and doing this kind of you know Eastern European accent not specific to anywhere you know, a bit of Russian, a bit of Polish in there. And so when I was auditioning for Troy, because they really didn't know what they would wanted at that point because they switched us, I would do it in Eastern European, English, and not a very good American at the time because I'd literally been, I, you know, I just arrived from England and I hadn't nailed the American accent yet. And uh, 
So yeah, I was auditioning. I was doing three auditions every time I went in. And it was only after I got cast that they said, okay, uh, you got the job, but you have to come up with an accent because um, <laughs> Patrick doesn't, Patrick, you know, Jean-Luc Picard was supposed to be French, right. but Patrick does a horrible French accent. He sounds like, <laughs> you know, Peter Sellers. He sounds like Peter Sellers doing Inspector Clouseau. I mean, it's horrific. So, <laughs> so I had to come up with the accent, even though he was supposed to be French. But as accents are my thing, um, that's kind of my specialty. Um, it wasn't an issue. I went, okay, well, I'll make one up. Who's going to tell me I'm doing it wrong? I'm the first beta <laughs> you know, so I can make it up. That's funny. You know, you said that when when you first arrived here to work that you didn't have a good American accent. Now, I have to be honest with you. Something that freaks me out is hearing Brits do an American accent. And you okay. know, like, well, whenever I see Hugh Laurie on House... Like, that okay. blows okay. my mind right. because I was such a huge fan of his with Fry and Laurie and all the stuff he did yeah. before yeah. he came over yeah. here. Yeah. And it's like, it freaks me out. Do you have a good American accent now? Have you worked on it? I do now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I've lived here 30 years. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, just by, you know, just by osmosis, I have a good American accent. Um, I don't, you know, I don't use it in life. I mean, I'm kind of, I do realize I'm kind of mid-Atlantic now, which is, which I always never wanted to be. But you kind of can't help it. You just go that way. Right. Um, so when I go to England, they yell at me that I sound American. And then, you know, in America, they say, well, you know, hang on a minute. Are you Australian? <laughs> which I take which I take great umbrage to. Uh, please don't call me Australian. <laughs> As an Englishwoman, that kind of, you know, irks a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, it is, it, you know, it is what it is. I, I talk the way I talk. You know, after two minutes in England, or if I'm speaking to my brother on the phone, I'm a true cockney again, and you can't hear any American in there at all. But when I'm in America, um, I tend to kind of, you know, homogenize the accent. That's funny. I, I saw something, and, and I've seen this story pop up over the years, that your mother did not believe that either either she didn't believe that you actually had a job on The Next Generation or that you you were on this TV series, and she thought that you were just telling her tales so that you could stay in America. Is, is yeah, that true? Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. That is absolutely true. Um, I came to America for three months, and, you know, 32 years later, I'm still here. Um, consequently, I don't have my albums anymore, my, you know, my record albums, because I was coming for three months. I didn't think I'd have to bring everything with me. Right. <laughs> and then my mom sold the house and I lost <laughs> everything. So, yeah, so that's a, that's, a, that's a pain that will never go away. But, um, yeah, so, you know, when I said I booked a job, on the day that I was going home. I mean, I, it, I, I arrived on um, November the 6th, 1986, and my visa and my return ticket was for May the, um, May the 6th, gotcha. 1987. So that's the day I got cast. I was packing. I literally, I had auditioned on the Monday. I didn't hear anything. It was now Wednesday morning. I assumed I hadn't got the job. I had a ticket back to England, uh, which I had to use because I was absolutely broke, literally not a penny to my name. And if I didn't use that ticket, I was going to be 
stuck in America with no way of getting home. So I had to go home. And um, I literally just got the suitcase down off the top of the off the top of the closet. And I opened the suitcase and the phone rang. And it was my agent. And uh, so I didn't have to pack. But my visa ran out the same day. So for three weeks, I was an illegal immigrant. Uh-oh. Because I had, yeah, I had to leave the country to come back in. Um, that's the way it works. But now I'm a citizen, so I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> you can't throw me out now. I'm a citizen. <laughs> well, we wouldn't want to throw you out. No, no. You're listening to Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and we are chatting this week with Marina Sirtis, one of my favorite guests that we've ever had on the show. This was such a fun conversation, and we will have more, including Marina talking about what her favorite episodes of The Next Generation are, what it was like working with her dear friend Jonathan Frakes again when they reunited on The Orville coming up on Fox, and a Geek Universe first as Marina Sirtis becomes the first Star Trek cast member to step into the Trivia Thunderdome to play Trump or Ferengi. That is all coming up right here. You're listening to Geek Universe. Stay tuned. We've got more with Marina Sirtis coming right up. Hello, everybody. This is Ming Chen from AMC's Comic Book Men. You're listening to my favorite show, Geek Universe. There's nothing hotter than Geek Universe. Once again, here's your host, Jim Yelton. Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and we are pleased to be joined this week by someone who ended up being one of my favorite guests on the show. We recorded this interview with Marina Sirtis in the fall, and we were waiting until Fox brought back the Orville after the holidays because Marina is actually going to guest star in an upcoming episode of the Orville on Fox, and it's directed by her Star Trek The Next Generation co-star, Jonathan Frakes, who we had on last week, so it all comes full circle. And when we get back to the conversation here with Marina, we talk to her about the early days of The Next Generation, kind of when she knew that the show was going to work and going to last, as well as what it was like working with Majel Barrett Roddenberry, who played her mother, Loxwana Troy. And make sure to stay tuned, because later on in the show, Marina actually becomes the first member of a Star Trek cast to play our Trivia Thunderdome game, Trump or Ferengi. That is a lot of fun. That's coming up later on. But now let's jump right back into the conversation with Marina Sirtis right here on Geek Universe. I asked Jonathan this as well. You know, obviously you remember the early days of the show when before it premiered, when you were working on the first season, what were your initial impressions? I mean, obviously you were glad to have a job, mm. but nobody knew that this was going to work. And no, we didn't. We actually, we, we thought the opposite it we thought it wasn't right gonna work. right so i mean none of yeah. you were making long-term plans or anything but w- no was what was the moment for you where you realized oh this is going to be a thing like this is going to work and it's going to last well i'll tell you when i thought that by telling you a, a, a story so okay so i get the job i have to as i said i have to go out of the country to get my work permit and come back in so that all happens and then the next step is to get a green card. So I just, I didn't have the guts to apply for my green card until the third season of the show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, oh yeah, because 
they have to there are there are rules about foreign workers in America. You see, I want to clear that up with the people who think that we just come here and take all your jobs. Um, <laughs> there, there is a process, and the process is they have to prove to immigration that there is no one else who can do that job. So they have to re-audition. They have to audition for that job again. So they have to put an ad in the trades, and they have to see people, and they have to audition actresses for my job. And I was terrified that they were going to find someone they liked better. <laughs> I was going to be gone. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, ba- basically, third, you know, towards the end of the third season was when I thought, okay, okay, relax. This is going to go for it. This is going to go. You're not getting fired. You know, your job's secure. This, may- this is probably going to run for about seven years, you know, fingers crossed. But yeah, it took three years to get to that place. Wow. You know, it's funny because everybody that I've talked with from the show says that it's about that time frame. And I don't think you guys have coordinated the answers. <clears throat> I just think that was kind of the point where you all individually started to feel comfortable with the show and the ratings were good and, and you were getting a good response from the fans. So, you know, all of the rough spots had been smoothed out by season three and, and it felt like it was going to at least run its course and, and be on for six or seven years at that point. And the kind of the proof of the pudding was that, you know, when I first, I was on the first, I wasn't the first one to do a convention. That was the VAR, but then it terrified him and he didn't want to do it anymore for a while. So I was the first one to do them on a regular basis. And I went in those three years from 30 people in Columbus, Ohio, sitting there with their arms crossed, daring me to entertain them uh, and totally upset with me that I'm even contemplating taking the place of their heroes and how dare we with a bunch of upstarts you know who do we think we were to you know three years later I'm in Raleigh North Carolina and I'm in front of 6,000 people that's what happened in three years it's it's crazy I mean, and, and the fact yeah. that nobody had ever really tried to do a, a reboot or a, a sequel to a television series on that level without it being on a network of all things, um, you know, just kind of tells you how good the show was. Say that again, because I was talking to my husband, asked me what I was doing, and I was just oh. trying to explain to him. <laughs> Tell him it's I like, said hi. Who are you talking to? <laughs> hi. So, would you mind, sorry, my love, oh, repeating no, no, that no, question? Because I can't, it, since the menopause, I can't multitask anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I was just making the point that, you know, that kind of shows the quality of the show that, you know, you, you had that kind of arc where you were going from people, because I remember when it premiered and that there was that kind of passionate part of the fan base that was very anti anything that was going to be different from their beloved original Star Trek. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were not They were not happy. Not one bit happy. Yeah. And now those are the same people that come up to you at conventions and, yeah. and love you and hang on now your these are the people that are, yeah. Now these are the people that are indoctrinating their children God bless them. <laughs> that we have <laughs> so that we have an audience forever <laughs> speaking of the original show and and kind of transitioning the audience to the next generation i mean one of the the great casting decisions i think early on was uh casting majel as your mother yeah 
did did you feel as a part of the cast when when she came in to do her guest appearances, especially early on, like it's in, in that mm-hmm. first episode, you know, that it really was kind of like getting the blessing of the Pope almost by by having her kind of put her her stamp of approval on things? Yeah, I mean, yes, because actually, um, I think although it wasn't shown third, I think we shot Haven third. I think it was the third episode we actually shot. I'm not 100% sure. I'm kind of 90% sure that that was the order. But anyway, um, so we had, you know, we had met in the makeup trailer. I mean, basically, I'd never met her before. And yeah, I mean, it was like, oh, oh my gosh, the boss's wife is playing my mom. So that was a little bit of a, a little security blanket that I had to hang on to, you know. Um, the, the biggest feeling when Majel came on the set was, oh goodness, we, we had better behave because it's the <laughs> boss's wife. Uh, because we were, and I'm very, I mean, from day one, it, it kind of is bizarre, but I remember laughing so hard on day one that I was convinced we were all going to be fired for being, you know, unprofessional. And so I think the feeling with the whole cast was uh, we better we better shape up for just this one episode because, you know, we don't want reports back to the boss that we're a bunch of rowdies. So uh, that was I think that was the major feeling in the cast. What transpired because um, she was my mom was that they, the Roddenberry's kind of adopted me and made me part of their family, which is one of the biggest blessings to do, you know, um, in my time on on Star Trek. I got invited to every holiday meal, to every Oscar party, to basically any time that you would be with your family, I was invited because they knew I was on my own in America. You know, my family was in Europe. And uh, I still call um, Rod, bro, and he calls me sis. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so there was yeah. that, that, was, that was the biggest perk of her playing my mom, actually. It wasn't just the fact that she was playing my mom. It was because I got to become a kind of uh, a token Roddenberry. <laughs> I asked Jonathan if there was anybody that had made guest appearances on the show who he wished that you guys could have worked with more or that had made more appearances or that he got excited about when he knew, oh, this person's coming back. Mm-hmm. And and he he mentioned John Delancey, which right. I imagine would be at the top of everybody's list. But I would think for you that knowing that there was going to be a Loxwana episode coming up, that it had to be a little bit more special for you. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, I um, I was so pleased that she transitioned to Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Because on my show, or, you know, on TNG, her character was pretty, uh, a bit of a, you know, a bit one-dimensional. You know, she was the anti-mame of the galaxy. And there were a few moments that she had some dramatic, you know, different stuff to do. But it was only where really when she went over to DS9 that we really got to see what a fabulous actress she was because of the diversity of the storylines over there. And, you know, I was just, you know, thrilled because she'd kind of, she'd kind of done, she was Nurse Chapel on the original series. And then I think she was Jean's wife. Yeah. You know, and and Rod's mom. And I think that happens to a lot of women. You know, they kind of become mothers, they become wives and mothers, and they kind of perhaps, you know, lose a little of what they were when they were single or before they were, you know, before they had a family. And I was just thrilled that she got the opportunity to remind us all that, you know, she was a great actress. 
Yeah, yeah, she really was. And and the, the episodes of Deep Space Nine, you're right. I mean, those episodes, especially because she was working with somebody like Rene or Bergenois, who... With Rene, exactly, yeah, who's, a, mean, who's, a, who's a master. He's a master. He was so good on yeah. that show and, and so good on other stuff. But yeah, they, they had some good episodes together. I'm Jim Yelton, you're listening to Geek Universe, and we're talking to Deanna Troy herself, Marina Sirtis from Star Trek The Next Generation. We will have more with Marina coming up, including a first for Geek Universe. It's the first time ever a Star Trek cast member plays Trump or Ferengi, right here coming up on Geek Universe. This is John Jackson Miller, author of Star Wars and Star Trek novels, and you're listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Now, back to Geek Universe. It may well possess a rudimentary intelligence. Once again, here's your host, Jim Yelton. Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm Jim Yelton, and we are talking this week with Marina Sirtis from Star Trek The Next Generation. She is reuniting with her Star Trek co-star Jonathan Frakes as he directs and she guest stars in an upcoming episode of Seth MacFarlane's show The Orville, which is on Fox. And if you missed last week's show, we did talk to Jonathan Frakes last week, and you can find that along with a lot of other previous episodes of the show in our show archives with a lot of other cool stuff. Just go to geekuniverseshow.com, geekuniverseshow.com for everything Geek Universe, or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash geek universe show let's get right back to the conversation man this was a lot of fun talking to marina sirtis am i right to say that your personal favorite episode is face of the enemy no actually you're not oh no because it's well no i mean when i get asked which is your favorite episode my favorite episode is actually one that i'm not in very much uh and that's measure of a man i thought that was the perfect star trek episode yeah it really is and because it really is, right? So um, it ticks all the Star Trek boxes, you know. And um, and also, Brent had a major role in it. And I love me a courtroom drama, you see. So it right. kind of ticked on my boxes, too. I love, as far as my character development goes, I think, yes, um, Face of the Enemy is probably a turning point for my character and thus one of my favorite episodes. Although I have to be honest, when I have to wear prosthetics, I do turn into the psycho witch from hell. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how long in the makeup chair to turn into a Romulan? Too long. Hate it. I mean, I will turn work down now if I have to wear prosthetics. <laughs> and people say, oh, yeah, but it's lovely to dress up and be somebody different. And I'm like, not so much when you're in it for 15 hours a day. Right. And then yeah. you're desperate to get home. You know, you're desperate to get home and get some sleep or learn some lines. And then it takes another two hours to get it off. So, yeah, not my favorite thing to do. But as far as Troy... It was fantastic because I think I think it was kind of she was one way until we did face of the enemy, and then suddenly it was like the producers and the writers went, oh, you know, Troy maybe could kick some butt. Yeah, maybe we should make her a little more feisty, and then kind of the character became uh, much more um, multi-dimensional. I know I also enjoyed the chain of command two-parter when Ronnie Cox was a guest star, and, and yeah, he came over and took over the ship from Picard. And I, I know you had to have enjoyed it just because it gave you a little bit more to do, and there was a little bit more meat on the bone in that episode. And it, I always love when fans get worked up about the fact that he, 
that, you know, Jellicoe came on board to replace Picard and, you know, was really shaking things up. And, and that one of the things he did was make Troy put a uniform on and, and actually be a Starfleet officer for once. And I, I was thrilled. I love that. Yeah. I know for you, you had to have enjoyed that. I, I loved it. I really did. I was, I, you know, there was, you know, to not go into it too um, deeply because it's a very long story. The reason I wasn't in the uniform at the beginning was because I was too heavy for, okay, not too heavy for normal people, too heavy for Hollywood. Right. So that was the reason of the constant costume changes. Um, that, that was the reason that it all, you know, things were happening in the first two episodes and et cetera. So, but because Hollywood works its its sickness on you, like by osmosis. Yeah. You know, by the time we did um, Chain of Command, I was a stick insect. You know, so um, I looked good in the uniform. So they were like, "Oh, look, she put the uniform on. She looks good. Let's get her wearing that much more." Which thrilled me because I, I just purely on a fashion level, the most flattering of all the of all the costumes was the Starfleet uniform. Yeah, I really um, was. Yeah, but then, you know, the fans have their favorites, you know, like the green dress. And, you know, it's it's mainly to do ha with how much chest I was showing, let's be <laughs> honest. Uh, and so, you know, we kind of decided that when she was on duty, she would wear her uniform. And when she was off duty or counseling or, you know, not on the bridge, she could wear one of the other outfits. And make everybody happy. And make everybody happy, yeah. Before we talk about the Orville and, and wrap things up with you, occasionally I will have a guest such as you who, even though my wife is not a huge geeky, nerdy person like myself, she loves Star Trek, she loves you on Next Generation, but there's usually somebody like you that I have to ask a question for my wife. My wife okay. is more of a uh, NCIS fan than um, next generation. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. And I, I loved when you, I love the show too. Uh, I've been a Mark Harmon fan for decades now. I, I've loved him from way Me back. Me too. Since Flamingo Road. Right. I got back even further than you. Flamingo Road with Morgan, with, uh, with Morgan Fairchild. Morgan Fairchild. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. back when he still was rocking a mustache too, wasn't he? I don't remember if he had a mustache I because so. I, I mean, if this was got to be over like forty, oh, over yeah. forty years ago. Yeah, easily like because, late seventies. Uh, probably it was on in England. It was I didn't see it here. Uh, it did. A, it, it was on for like one season in England, and I loved the show, and so I remembered him from back then. Yeah. So you had to have been excited when you booked NCIS, knowing that you were going to work with Mark. Well. Well, that and the fact that I had been offered a job without auditioning on the number one show in the world, which is kind of, right. which is kind of, <laughs> you know, which is cause again Hollywood at its weirdest. Um, I, you know, sometimes I have to go in and read for low budget indie movies that you know will hopefully end up on the screen, but nine times out of ten don't, and then I have to go and audition for those. And yet the number one show in the world offers me a job. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's crazy town. You know, I mean, it yeah. really is crazy town. Although, but anyway, um, so yeah, I was thrilled. I was absolutely thrilled. Um, I was more thrilled. When while I was, they made a big deal of you know the fact that I was taken over from Michael Nori and I was yeah. now the director of Mossad and there were a lot of press releases and Gary Goldberg, God rest him, was saying you know we're so thrilled to have Marina on board and you know it was really great 
and and I did my first episode and they took me aside and they said, oh, Marina, you are so going to love your storyline next year. <laughs> and then Cody de Pablo quit. <laughs> and my storyline went with her. So, um, yeah, I was supposed to be in it much more. But, you know, when Cody left, then, you know, kind of my, my story yeah. went with her. Yeah. When I was talking to Jonathan a few days ago, the Orville came up and we talked about how much I love the show. And it's interesting seeing a show that is so much a Star Trek show in every way possible, except for the fact that they can't call it Star Trek. And exactly. And I said, you know, in the first season, I thought it was a smart move that they had him direct an episode, because if you're going to start from scratch, you want to sprinkle a little bit of the Trek magic dust on it. Of the TNG, of the TNG magic. Yeah, yeah. that's actually a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. And, and who knows how to direct that kind of show more than Jonathan Frakes? Right. And so we were talking and he, we, we talked about how he was coming back for another episode this season and how they were sitting around the office talking about casting decisions and, and they were trying to cast this one particular character and people kept throwing out names and he finally just said, well, what about Marina? And somebody said, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Do you think she could do it? And he called you and you were like literally there like 24 hours later yep so what's your part in the episode of the oracle i can't tell you what my can't tell you what my part is i mean <laughs> this is big that they're even this is big that they're even letting me tell you that i'm in it, in it right yeah. because oh do you know i have had to sign so many ndas recently i had to sign an nda to go visit jonathan on the set of discovery just to visit i had to sign an nda oh, wow. i have to sign ndas now before i go in to read for something i yeah, mean it's, literally it's i have signed so many ndas recently i feel like one of trump's mistresses i'm not joking <laughs> honestly it's ridiculous <laughs> so anyway so how yeah, long has it been uh, since I you've could, worked with him since with jonathan yeah since insurrection okay yeah that's what i was thinking too yeah since insurrection, I mean, a long time. And I'm not, I'm not saying this because he's my Mzadi and I love him. Jonathan is the best director I've ever worked with on the set because directors tend to fall into two categories. And that is the technical directors who do brilliant shots and, you know, spectacular, you know, views and what looks on the screen is spectacular. And then there are directors who we call actors directors who know how to talk to actors, get what you're doing, know how to communicate, know how to tell you what, what they want from you. And there's not many that do both really well. Jonathan is a, one of the rare breed of director because he was an actor actor who is both yeah and the atmosphere on the set is always relaxed and fun and not tense and irritable and and you know sometimes it can get tense on a film set never i mean he's just he's a force of nature and it, it kind of translates when he's directing and you know he texted me are you around you know, we got something for you. And I mean, I think within 10 minutes, I was like, yeah, I'm, yeah, whatever you want, Johnny, I'm, I'm there for you, man. And, and yeah, and then I think I was on the set in two days shooting. I'm Jim Yelton, you're listening to Geek Universe, and we're talking to Deanna Troy herself, Marina Sirtis from Star Trek The Next Generation. We will have more with Marina coming up, including a first for Geek Universe. It's the first time ever a Star Trek cast member plays Trump or Ferengi, right here coming up on Geek Universe. 
you think the Kobayashi Maru isn't a Japanese steakhouse, you're in the right place. Geek Universe with your host, Jim Yelton. Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and we've been having a great time this week talking with Marina Sirtis from Star Trek The Next Generation. You know her as Deanna Troy. My wife knows her from her guest appearances on NCIS, and she's going to be making an upcoming appearance on Seth MacFarlane's show, The Orville, which we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks now. Last week, we talked to Jonathan Frakes, who directed the episode that Marina is in, and this week, we were able to talk to her, and that leads us to this segment. This is the... Man, I have been telling people this segment is uh, the best part of the conversation we had. Of course, we saved the best for last. We, we've been teasing that Marina plays Trumper Ferengi, which is definitely coming up. But also, I get quite a, a tongue lashing from Marina in this segment because uh, we, we started talking about uh, comparing the Orville and where it's at to the next generation when it started and kind of what they went through. And it really led down a path that I quite enjoyed. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a minute just to remind you to go check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash geekuniverseshow. There's lots of cool rewards to reward you for helping to support the show, and we are starting something new at the beginning of the year here to coincide with the launch of our superhero series Extraordinary, which is going to be coming your way to bookstores and Amazon and, and everywhere you can get a book in April. Every single member of our Patreon Every single one of them, from the dollar basic membership all the way up to the highfalutin levels, will receive lifetime access to every single printed page, every single word that comes out of Midnight Entertainment from now as long as you're a Patreon, and that includes the upcoming series Extraordinary. So for a dollar a month, you can get really cool superhero action adventure drama. Every time a new book comes out, it comes directly to you. In fact, the Patreon members get it before the bookstores get it. They get it before Amazon gets it. You'll have access to our pre-release PDF or ebook, however you want it, and all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash show, sign up there, become a member at any of the levels, including the basic $1 membership. For $1 a month, you will get access to everything that is coming from Geek Universe and Midnight Entertainment. Our entire publishing schedule will be available for you to access anytime you want and we've got some really cool stuff if you haven't seen the facebook as we've been talking about extraordinary we're going to be doing some special shows with my collaborator steve newton coming up in the near future to talk about the long gestating development process for extraordinary we're going to be talking about the characters the story what our influences are and get you ready for all things extraordinary coming up in april so go to patreon.com and check it out like i said it's just a dollar a month I mean, basically, $12 a year gets you a book plus pre-release access to all the, the extra goodies and other rewards if you want to go to the other reward tiers. And we've got lots of really cool extra stuff that's going to be coming down the pike for all of you Patreon supporters. So go to patreon.com slash show, help support the show, and help us bring you really cool stuff in the coming year. Now, let's get to it. This is <laughs> this is it. This is where uh, I get taken to task by Marina Sirtis. And she may or may not win a prize package for one lucky listener when she plays Trump or Ferengi. The group of people that are doing the Orville are kind of in the same 
exact boat that you were in in the the mid 80s doing a science fiction show that nobody knows whether it's going to work or not you know they're they're treading kind of the same trail that you guys went through with next no, they're generation not. they're not i'm no jim i'm going to disagree really? with you there yeah i'm disagreeing with you there um when we came on in 1987 Sci-fi was altern- alternative entertainment. It was not. Look at look at yeah, you know right. look at the movies that were out. You're look right. at the movies that were out in the late 80s and early 90s. The reason and you know and people are going to say oh this is rubbish, but I truly believe in my in my bones that the reason that sci-fi is what it is today and is the number one thing at the box office now, which it wasn't 30 years ago, is because of TNG. The success of TNG started the trend. You know, people don't realize because we were a syndicated show. Right. Which made our success even more extraordinary. Because you couldn't say to someone, um, oh, Wednesday night, 9 o'clock on NBC. You had to say, check your local listings, which is what they do for syndicated shows. Because it's on at different times, on different days all over the country, if they show it at all. Right. And so consequently, we were not, because we were syndicated, we were not rated in the Nielsen ratings. If we had been rated in the Nielsen ratings, I think we would have been in the top 10 every week. Oh, easily, yeah. Yeah, you're right. right. So, right. So, no, they're in the same boat in as much as it's a new show and every new show comes with its, um, you know, with its problems and its issues and it's, you know, it's scary. Will I get picked up? Will I be successful? All those issues that go, go with the new show. But the groundwork's been done. Sci-fi is huge now. They yeah, don't have to fight right. that battle. You're right. You know, so um, I, I I know not a lot of people want to say that, but I don't care. I mean, maybe it's because I'm English. Maybe it's cause, maybe it's because I'm of Greek heritage. I don't know, but I call it like I see it. And um, I think TNG, the success of TNG, really was a lightning rod to what we what we're watching now on TV and at the movies. I want to wrap things up, and, and I've been saving this for the very end, and I appreciate all the time that you've taken this afternoon to talk to me. I, I really appreciate it. We do live shows when we go to conventions, and, and we do live appearances and things like that, and one of the things that we do is uh, we will do a tr- trivia game show called the Trivia Thunderdome. Either we'll bring people from the audience, or we'll have some of the special guests at a convention that we're at uh, be the contestants. From day one of the Geek Universe radio program, and the Trivia Thunderdome. And this was actually before he became our president. One of the categories in the Trivia Thunderdome is called Trump or Ferengi. And (laughs) we give the contestants a quote, and then we need them to tell us whether it is a quote from uh, Donald Trump and the Art of the Deal or from the Ferengi Rules of Acquisition. Now, this this could be the greatest moment in Geek Universe history if I have somebody from the Star Trek The Next Generation cast play Trump or Ferengi. Okay, go on. Are you you game? Oh, yeah, come on, let's do it. Oh, let's do it. Okay, let me pull up. Okay, we're going to give you five. Now, I'm actually, before we air the episode, I'm going to let people know that we're doing this. So we're going to find a listener and give them a prize if you can guess three out of five and, and you okay. can win Trump or Ferengi. So uh, okay. Marina Sirtis, you are playing Trump or Ferengi. The first quote is sometimes by losing a battle, you find a new way to win the war. That's Trump. That is Trump. You are correct. Number two, without passion, you don't have energy without energy. You have nothing. That's Trump. That is Trump as well. You might go for a clean sweep here. Three in a row. The third one, the quote is, never spend more for an acquisition than you have to. That's Trump. That is not Trump. That is 
Oh, that was Ferengi. Ferengi. You that know, is and that, rule and of I acquisition number Ferengi. three. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. You've still got two, so we're, we're okay. looking for a third one to see if you can win. The fourth quote, sometimes your best investments are the ones you don't make. Trump. That is Trump. Ooh, you got you got three out of the four. You, you win. Yay! <laughs> you, you know, I have to be honest. It's not that I know my Ferengi. It's, it's that, that, that I know Trump. my Trump. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> because if you're if you're going to argue about someone, if you're going to argue, see, this is my uh, philosophy. If you're going to argue about something, know your facts. Exactly. And do your research, right? So I've done my research. We when we do Trump or Ferengi at the live shows, I. I always introduce it by saying we're going to play Trump or Ferengi. That's right. One of them is looking to conquer the galaxy through misogyny and capitalism, and the other one is an orange it's alien from Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Okay, my dear. Well, thank you so very someone's much. Someone's going to win a prize. Somebody's going to win a prize. Give them a hug from me when they get their prize. Excellent. I, I All will. right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, we will be looking forward to seeing you in your very secret appearance on the Orville when it comes up. Right. Is there anything else coming up that you're working on that you can talk about that we can kind of? Well, I'm also you? I'm also on well I'm also on a show called Titans, which I also can't talk about. And um, I'm not even DC sure show, I'm right? to say that much. It's a, yeah, it is yeah, yeah the DC show. So I'm now yeah. And um, next summer, I'm doing a play, a new play in the West End in London. Awesome. Very nice. Well, we yeah. will yeah. keep everybody posted. We'll let you get back to your husband. Thank you very much Thank for you. being on the show. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Jim. Bye, dear. You've been listening to another exciting episode of Geek Universe with Jimmy Elton. Find out more about every corner of the Geek Universe including previous episodes, dates for our live appearances, and theme merchandise including Trivia Thunderdome t-shirts and Jim's book, The Swindlers of Doom, at GeekUniverseShow.com. You can also find Geek Universe with Jim Yelton at Facebook.com slash 30 Minutes of Geek, or on Twitter using the Twitter handle, at 30 Minutes of Geek. Geek Universe with Jim Yelton is a production of Midnight Entertainment, LLC. This episode is copyright 2017, all rights reserved. Well, kids, that's all you get. That's it. Read a book!